You are listening to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Sevierville, where our mission is helping people move from their point of need to hope in Christ. For more information about our church, head on over to Sevier.Church. Today's sermon, Deborah, is part three in the series, Unlikely, shared by Kids Pastor Keith Allman. Well, good morning, church family. Um, like Corwin and Nick said, my name is Keith Allman. I'm the Kids Pastor here at First Baptist Church. And so honored to be able to preach to you from God's Word today. If you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and open it up to Judges chapter 4. Judges 4 is our text today. We're picking up in the series that Pastor Nan started a couple of weeks ago with the book of Judges. And as you're finding it, let me just remind you about what we've learned so far over the last couple of weeks when it comes to the Judges. First of all, we've learned that a judge is someone who is doing what a judge does. They hear judicial matters, matters of the law, questions and disputes, and people come to them for wisdom. But they're more than just earthly judges. They're, they're more like one scholar calls tribal leaders, community activists. They, they go into their area, wherever they came up from, and, and they're the leaders in the community, these, these homegrown grassroots leaders. And they also do a supernatural judging. They, they lead because God has called them to lead at a particular time in a particular way. We've seen that there's a cycle with these judges, that it typically goes that the people of God turn away from him, they start worshiping idols, they forsake him, and God gives them over to the people that they live amongst. And they become enslaved, harassed, oppressed, sometimes even killed. Until finally they will relent, repent, turn back to God, and God will send a judge, a deliverer, a rescuer. And oftentimes he works supernaturally through these judges. We've seen two judges so far, Gideon and Samson. And the judge we're going to look at today is different from these judges in a couple ways. One, the judges we've already learned about come with a lot of baggage. If you read the whole story of Gideon, you see that Gideon, after he has this amazing battle moment that we read about, later on in his life, Gideon asks the people to bring gold earrings to him. He melts them down builds a golden ephod, an idol, and has people worship it. And the scriptures say that it becomes a snare to Gideon and to his family for the rest of their days. Then you see Samson. We learned about him last week. Samson's a womanizer, struggles with lust his whole life, and ends up in his death accomplishing more than he ever did in his whole life. These are not guys you want your sons to grow up to be like. And the judge we're going to look at today, though, is a little different because, according to the Scripture, we don't see any baggage that comes with this judge. doesn't mean this judge is sinless. doesn't mean this judge is blameless. It just means that we don't see the, the unrighteousness that follows this judge. And the other thing about this judge that's unique is this judge is not a male. This judge is a female. It's the only judge that we have in this book who is a woman. And she leads in a very unique way. So we're going to walk through Judges 4 pretty meticulously and see the story and see what God is trying to teach us through this. So Judges 4, uh, verse 1, starts like this. Then the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. 
after Ehud died. It's a previous judge that came before. So the Lord sold them into the hand of King Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. And the commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harosheth Hagoim. The sons of Israel cried out to the Lord, for he, that Sisera, had 900 iron chariots, and he oppressed the sons of Israel severely for 20 years. Now, we start off this story by meeting the bad guys of, of this. It kind of reminds me, if you've ever seen Star Wars, any Star Wars fans in here? My son really likes Star Wars. Um, the first time we meet Darth Vader, I'm not talking like the prequels, I'm talking about the 1977 A New Hope comes out. When the, when the movie opens, we meet the bad guys first. We don't meet the good guys. And that's how a lot of screenwriters and directors have done over the years. They start by introducing the characters. And we learn here about who the bad guys are. First, there's King Jabin. He's uh, the king of the Canaanites. And the Canaanites are an idolatrous, pagan people who live near the Israelites. And we meet his cavalry commander, Sisera. Sisera has 900 iron chariots. And this is really one of the only details we know of Sisera, but it's a really big detail because the Israelites have nothing compared to that. They don't have a standing army that is ready to go in times of need. In fact, they just kind of have men in their villages and in their clans who will rise up if need be, kind of like a militia used to be in the colonies, but not really a, a standing army. But Sisera and the Canaanites, they've got tons and tons of soldiers, including 900 iron chariots. So we meet the bad guys. Now let's meet the good guys. Judges 4 continues in verse 4. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time. She used to sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the sons of Israel went up to her for judgment. Now she sent word and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, has indeed commanded, Go and march to Mount Tabor, and take with you 10,000 men from the sons of Naphtali and from the sons of Zebulun. I will draw out to you Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his many troops, to the river Kishon, and I will hand them over to you. So here's the good guys. We've learned the two bad guys, and now we have the two good guys. We have Deborah and Barak. Deborah is the prophetess, and again, she's unique. She's the only female judge, and that, that begs the question of like, well, why is she the only female judge? Where are, where are the men? Like, why are they not judging right now? And it appears to be from the text that there are no godly men around at this time. The men have forsaken the one true God. They're worshiping idols. And Deborah is the lone one who is remaining faithful to God. And she sits out under this tree that bears her name. The, this name, if you want to know where this name of the tree comes from, you can just make a little note. Genesis 35, verse 8. Um, there was another Deborah that came before her, and they buried her under a tree, and they called it Deborah's tree. And so here Deborah, our Deborah, is sitting under a tree that bears her name. And she sits there, and the men of Israel come to her to get information, to have the law understood, to settle disputes, 
to understand spiritual matters. But in this instance, Deborah gets a word from God, and she calls for Barak to come down from where he lives to visit her to tell him that he's supposed to muster a military, 10,000 men, and travel to Mount Tabor to go fight the Canaanites. Now, in our context here in 2023 in Sevierville, Tennessee, it's kind of hard for us to understand the geography of what's going on, where these locations are. I mean, if, if somebody came to you today, if you're a native of Sevier County and said, hey, could you give me directions to Boogertown? You could tell them how to get to Boogertown. If you aren't from here, that's a real place here in Sevier County. Um, you could tell them where to go, and you could tell them how to get to Knoxville. You could tell them how to get to Atlanta. You could tell them how to get to other places. We know the geography of our area, our area, but we don't necessarily know the geography of theirs. So I have a map for you to kind of help you visualize what we're talking about. You can see this map, and you can see where these characters are kind of located in the story. Jabin is ruling up in the north in Hazor, and his his commander, Sisera, is over to the west near the Mediterranean Sea. Barak is up there in the midst of them, too, around the Sea of Galilee. But Deborah is way down south. She's not connected to them. She's not in any way associated with this area of geography. But God sends a word and says, I need you to call upon a man who lives up that way and bring him down here and tell him that I've got plans for him. And so Deborah does that. Barak comes down. He gets this word, but his response is pretty interesting. Let's read Barak's response, starting in verse 8. Then Barak said to her, if you will go with me, then I'll go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. She said, I'll certainly go with you. However, the fame shall not be yours on the journey that you're about to take, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman." Then Deborah got up and went with Barak to Kadesh. Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and 10,000 men went up with him. Deborah also went up with him. Barak gets the word. He hears from Deborah what he's supposed to do, and his response is, Okay, I'll go if you go, but if you ain't going, I ain't going. And we could really take Barak's response there in one of two ways. There's like a negative way we can look at it and a positive way. To me, the negative way jumps out the page, right? It's Barak is unsure. He doesn't necessarily trust Deborah. Remember, he doesn't know her. They don't live near each other. She's in a different clan than him. So I don't know you. You're just telling me that God spoke to you. Maybe there's some hesitancy in Barak. But there also could be a positive way to take this. It could be that Barak is saying, I need you because God didn't speak to me. He spoke to you. And I didn't hear God's voice. You did. I need you to go with me. You know, over the years, there have been many translations of the Old Testament scriptures from their original language in Hebrew and Aramaic. One of the most important translations we have is the Greek translation. It's known as the Septuagint. Um, It's very important because that's the scriptures that Jesus and the apostles almost exclusively quote from, is the Greek translation. 
We know that because there are little variants, little changes here and there along the way throughout history that we can trace. And these variants might be uh, a word gets left off or a line gets copied twice. Because remember, these are hand-copied scrolls that people are reading. They don't have the printing press yet. They don't have typewriters or word processors. These are being hand-copied probably by candlelight by some faithful scribes. And sometimes you get some different readings. We can trace the readings and we know where they come from. And Jesus and the apostles quote from the Greek Septuagint. And here, in Barak's response, in the Greek Septuagint, is one of those variants. This is what it says. It says, if you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. For I know not the day on which the Lord prospers his messenger. It seems like that Barak is taking the positive side here. That it's, it's I don't know what day this is supposed to happen on. Because remember, uh, in, in the biblical stories, sometimes the author will speed things up. Like at the beginning of this story, we see that the people were oppressed for 20 years. We got this whole 20-year time period packed into like two verses. And then sometimes the author slows down. And what we have here is a little bit of a speeding up. It just says that Barak obeyed and he went and they gathered these troops. But based on the geography where we saw, that would take weeks, if not months, to gather all of these men to get up to Mount Tabor in the north and be ready for battle. And so Barak's simply saying, I don't know what day we're supposed to attack along the way. Deborah, you're the prophetess. You're the judge. I need you to go with me. And so she does. She accompanies him, and you would expect, okay, now the scene is set, we're at Mount Tabor, we're ready for the battle, we know the good guys are, we know the bad guys are, we're ready to fight. But then we get this weird line that seems like a, like a throwaway line in the story. Now, you and I know, as Christians, there are no throwaway lines in the Scripture. There are no things that are just randomly thrown in there, we believe 2 Timothy 3.16 that says all scripture is God-breathed. And so this next verse, which seems like a throwaway line, is actually foreshadowing of something to come. Let's read it. It says, now Heber, the Canite, had separated himself from the Canites, from the sons of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak in Zananim, which is near Kadesh. If it's your first time reading this story or your first time in a long time reading this story and you're like, where did that come from? I promise it'll come back. Just file that away. We'll come back to that. Let's move on to the battle. Verse 12 says this, then they sold, or they told Sisera, excuse me, that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. Sisera summoned all his chariots, 900 iron chariots, and all the people who were with him from Harosheth Hagoim to the river Kishon. Then Deborah said to Barak, Arise, for this is the day on which the Lord has handed Sisera over to you. Behold, the Lord has gone out before you. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Harosheth Hagoim, 
And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not even one was left. We get the details of the battle. Barak and Deborah upon Mount Tabor. Sisera rolls up with his 909 chariots plus other soldiers to fight. And the battle ensues. And as I was reading through this, I needed to stop and I, and I wanted to think about the battlefield tactics that are being on display here. And I asked Chris Shelton, our facilities director here, and uh, himself a Marine veteran, about the battlefield here. And, and we noticed a couple things. One, 99.99999% of time when you're in a battle, you never give up the high ground. In any sort of skirmish or war or battle that you're in, you want to be up high. Because if you're up high, you can see the movement of the enemy. You can see farther away than they can see. You've got better cover, better concealment. You want to stay up high. But what did Barat do? The scriptures say that when Deborah told him to rise up and go fight, he went down from the mountain. That goes against all battlefield tactics, is to leave your elevated position to go attack someone in the valley below. I've got a picture here of Mount Tabor that you can see. Um, and that's modern-day Mount Tabor, but you can, you can get the, the vibe of how things would have gone. And you can kind of picture Barack and Deborah up top there. But look around. They can see all around them. Why give up that position? They go down into the valley below. And I've got another picture here of the Jezreel Valley. This is a view from Mount Tabor down into the valley below them. This is where Sisera is bringing his chariots, fighting on behalf of King Jabin. Why go attack them down there? Because, again, Sisera has the chariots. Chris and I were talking, and if you've got these chariots of iron, they can't make their way up those steep passes up on top of the mountain, there's crags, there's rocks, there's trees, there's debris. Uh, you don't give up that position. The, the chariots are going to do much better down here in the valley. But there was one thing that was different about this battle that allowed Barak to abandon what a normal tactician would do. The scripture says in Deborah's prophecy, the Lord has gone before you, Barak. Did you catch that? It says, the Lord has handed Sisera over to you. The Lord has gone before you. So Barak's not leading the charge down this mountain. He's following God down the mountain to go fight in the valley below. And ends up, God completely destroys the army. doesn't say that Sisera was destroyed by the army. No, Sisera gets away, but everyone else dies. And we get to the end of this story, and I want to read it, and just want to let you know up front, it's a pretty shocking ending to this story. Verse 17 says, now Sisera fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Canaanite. Remember that throwaway section earlier? Comes back here. Sisera fled on foot to the tent of Jael because there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber, the Canaanite. And Jael went to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my master. Turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent. She covered him with a rug. 
And he said to her, please give me a little water to drink for I'm thirsty. So she opened a leather bottle of milk and gave him a drink. Then she covered him. And he said to her, stand in the doorway of the tent. And it shall be if anyone comes and inquires of you and says, is there anyone here? You say, no. But Jael, Heber's wife, took a tent peg and a hammer in her hand and went secretly to him and drove the peg into his temple. And it went through into the ground, for he was sound asleep and exhausted. So he died. And behold, while Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said to him, Come, I'll show you the man who you're seeking. So he entered with her, and behold, Sisera was lying dead with the tent peg in his temple. So God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, on that day before the sons of Israel. And the hand of the sons of Israel pressed harder and harder upon Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they had eliminated Jabin, the king of Canaan. I told you it was crazy. We get this lady, Jael, random lady, quote-unquote random. She's been, her husband has moved their family. They've left their homeland. They've just pitched a tent out somewhere, and it just so happens to be near this battle. Sisera flees. He finds this tent, and he runs in because he believes that there is peace between King Jabin and Heber. It says that they believe that there's peace there. And he goes into her tent, says, please, could you help me? She says, yeah, yeah, come on in, come on in, come on in. Covers him up with a rug. He's thirsty. She gives him a drink. And he says, if somebody comes, tell them I'm not here. She says, sure thing. And then she murders him. No joke. That's what happened. She murdered him right there. And then Barak shows up and he says, what in the world? She shows him Sisera lying dead with a tent peg driven through his head, still in the ground. It reminds me of what Deborah told Barak at the beginning of this story. When he said, I need you to go with me, she said, sure thing, but I need you to know something. The fame from this battle, it's not going to belong to you. The glory is going to go to a woman. And everybody would have assumed it would have been Deborah, right? She's the prophetess. She's a covenant member of God's family. She has to be the hero. No, it's Jael. She, here's an idolatrous, pagan enemy of God who God uses to destroy another enemy of God. And it just, it reminds me that God can do whatever he pleases. The scriptures tell us that he rules and reigns, all authority is his, and whether he uses things that are being done righteously or unrighteously, it is all part of his plan. And so, maybe today you're sitting there and you're thinking, things seem out of control. Maybe, maybe you're scraping together change just to pay the light bill. And you're begging God, like, God, I've, I've been in this situation for months. I've been waiting for a job. 
When are you going to answer? Or maybe you've got a child who struggles with some mental health issues, and you've been praying, and you've been praying, and you've been praying, and they're not getting better. You say, God, do you even hear me anymore? I want to remind you that God is still in control. He's faithful. The promises that he spoke through Deborah came true. And you could sit there and you could say, hey, that sounds good. That's revisionist history. That's us reading back into it like, oh yeah, of course God provided. We can read back and see that. I want to show you something. I want you to look at the names that are on this this image uh, behind me. You can see the names in the original language there and their meaning. Before these characters in this story ever did anything involved, when they were born, they were given these names. And you can see God's handiwork already at play. You could tell this whole story just if you knew the names of the characters. Deborah gets this word from God and she speaks it to Barak and tells him what he is to do. They're supposed to fight This man named Sisera, who is known for all the horses and the the chariots that he commands. And Jabin thinks he has a partner in in Heber. He thinks he understands their relationship, but he really doesn't. And so after Deborah and Barak go up on this mountain, Barak charges like lightning down the mountain to go fight this battle. Sisera runs away to the house of Jael. And in there he asks for water, but she gives him milk. A mountain goat providing the milk that he needs instead of water. Can't you see God's handiwork even in these characters? If God is in control of even their names, he's in control of your situation. And by the way, Deborah's not the hero of this story. Barak's not the hero of this story. Jael's not the hero of this story. There is only one hero in every story of the Bible, and it is the Lord himself. God is the hero. That's why the Bible says that God goes before them. God routed the Canaanites and God provided. I wish we had more time and we could go through all of Judges chapter 5 because the very next chapter of this book is a song that Deborah and Barak sing in celebration of what God's done. To just kind of sum it up, Deborah recalls the the faithfulness that God has done throughout Israel's history. She tells their story that they'd gone after new gods and they'd abandoned the one true God, that none of the men are fighting for him. But she has to rise up like a mother in Israel to care for them. So she calls for Barak, her servant, and they go around the land and she lists the different tribes and clans that come and that muster together to fight this battle. Some of them go. She praises them. Some of them refuse. She curses them. But there's a couple of things I just want to point out. And if you look in Judges chapter 5, um, verses, starting in verse 19, it says, The kings came and fought. Then the kings of Canaan fought at Tanakh near the waters of Megiddo. They took no plunder in silver. The stars fought from heaven. From their paths they fought against Sisera. The torrent of Kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon. Whenever you see this kind of language in the Old Testament of like cosmological things happening, stars and the sun moving and fighting for God's people, that's usually language talking about there was something supernatural going on. 
that there was something bigger than just the people involved in this story taking place, that God himself was doing the fighting. And then Deborah mentions this river, the Kishon River. She calls it a mighty torrent. Is it possible that when Barak said, I need you to go with me, Deborah, because I don't know what day we need to attack, that the day on which Deborah received word from God, something was going on with this river. Either there was a, a storm that God cast down and it flooded the river to keep their chariots from moving and to cause everyone disarray, or maybe it was just the river was exceptionally high. Either way, it seems as though God, who is in control of not only these characters, but he's controlling the weather on the day of this battle and the geography that's being used on the day of this battle. And he's also controlling pagan people who are going to be involved and righteous people. Again, just another reminder of, of God's rule and reign. And then the end of this song, go read it sometime. Deborah paints a picture of Sisera's mom. Those of you who have kids in the military, this is, this is a tough one to think through. If they were fighting in battle and you're waiting to hear word that they're okay. Sisera's mom is said to be sitting at her window with her handmaidens looking out and saying, when's he coming home? Where's Sisera? Where is he bringing the spoils of war? Why isn't he at home yet? And at the end of the, the song, Deborah says in verse 31, God, may all your enemies perish in this way. Now, here's what I don't think Deborah means by that. I don't think Deborah means, hey, it's okay to do unethical things to get godly results. Because think about what happened with Jael in the tent. She was deceiving, she lied. And she murdered. Just because, this is what one writer said, just because the author includes it doesn't mean the author condones it. So we shouldn't be like Jael in what she does. So like, it's not okay for you to embezzle money and then give it all to the church. We appreciate your gifts and your offerings. We really do. But don't do it in unrighteous ways. That guy in your life group who is completely stubborn, who keeps everyone from having unity, you can't kill him. You might want to, you can't kill him. You can't do unethical things in the name of Jesus. And so just because that's mentioned there doesn't mean that you can do it. What it does mean is, God, may you destroy every enemy that you have. We want to be on your side. But I have good news and bad news for you today. I'm going to give you the bad news first. The bad news is, the Bible says that there are only two categories of humans. You're either in Christ, you've turned to God and you're following him by grace through faith in him alone, or you're in Adam. You're dead in your sins and your trespasses, and you're an enemy of God. In Deborah's song, she cries out, God, may all your enemies die just like that. Friends, I don't want to be an enemy of God. 
I hope you don't want to be an enemy of God, but some of you might be an enemy of God today. I pray that you would turn to Jesus. Repent. Turn to him. And the good news is he will rescue you. He will save you. He is the ultimate judge. Where all the judges fall short, because if you keep reading at the very end of the song, it says that the land was at rest for 40 years before they started a new cycle. Jesus promises everlasting rest. Everlasting peace, if you will turn to him. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to pray. And as we pray, I want us to consider these things. Are you waiting on God for a move of him? Are you needing him to come through for you on something? Are you unsure if he's actually going to be faithful? You might not want to say those words out loud, but that's how you feel in your heart. You feel abandoned or alone, neglected, cast down, overlooked. I encourage you to pray and call out to God and say, God, I do remember that you're faithful. Help me. Or maybe you need to call out to God and say, God, I don't want to be your enemy. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to pray right where we are right now. After that, the band's going to come up. We're going to sing a song of gratitude to the Lord for all that he's done too. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for this story. And God, it's, it's easy for us in our own sin, in our own selfishness to want to see ourselves. Like, where are we at in this story? God, we're not Deborah. We're not Barack. We're not one of the heroes. God, we're like the, the Israelites who get so preoccupied with every other thing that we turn away from you until calamity strikes. God, help us. I pray that right now, your Holy Spirit would move, stir minds and hearts, whether there needs to be just a, a confession of gratitude, a surrender to something that we're holding on to, or maybe, Lord, it's even repentance and faith born in Christ Jesus. I pray that you would move, even now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and share. And if you want a pastor to follow up with you regarding today's message, reach out to us at severe.church slash follow up. Thanks again for joining us on the First Baptist Church Severeville podcast.